thank you for uh, we thank you for the promise that Father, you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us. We praise you, Father, for that expression of love. And what I know this morning, there are those in, in this moment, um, as individuals, God, who who don't see you, and God, they they don't know where you are, and they don't understand your love for them. We're praying this morning for this an awakening. It's an awakening of an awareness of your love for them. And God, at the same time, Lord, you you speak love over individuals, but you speak love over your body. Because God, we're all small members of one large body. And Father, in that, then you speak your love over the body of Christ as a whole. And so, Father, as we step in here and look at us ourselves as vintage this morning, and God just wondering where you are in the midst of us as a people at Vintage. God, I praise you that you never leave us nor forsake us and that you love us. And what I pray this morning, you'd awaken an awareness in us, God, of, of how much you love the body of Christ, your church, your people. Father, I praise you that, that you died for us as individuals and that you died for us as a corporate people. And Father, I ask this morning that you would awaken a deeper understanding of of how you love, who you love, and what you love. Father, we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, last got a Facebook notice that Ross Wilson's at Vintage 242 Church. So good, bro. Good job, bro. <laughs> that is funny. I have you know that um, <clears throat> those of you new at Vintage, you know I'm a, I'm a Georgia Bulldog fan uh, by birth. Yes, by by birth, and and I have a I have a, an app on my phone that uh, it's called Yahoo Spectacular Sportacular that gives these audit like these live updates on on football games. And so I use my phone as my as my timer, but I forget to turn it off when I was sitting in church back last fall. And so I'd be sitting in the middle of preaching, I'd look down and it have a live update on a Georgia score. And there were moments that I would start weeping in church during the Florida game especially. And you thought it was the spirit that it was actually the score of the game. So anyway. All right. Well, hey, I'm Steve Hambrick, and uh, I'm, I'm glad. I, I'm, I love being the pastor here at Vintage 242. Uh, Randall and I basically lived, and my wife Randall and I, who was up here earlier doing announcements, we've basically lived here now almost three years. Uh, I forget exactly when we moved in. You went to you went to you were in Africa, um, <clears throat> serving Jesus while I, I labored moving in here, um, and you still owe me. But. Um, but we've been here about three years, and it's been an exciting time for us, and an exciting ride. I mean, we've had lots of ups and downs, primarily ups, and, and we're excited about what God is doing in the next uh, season uh, of our lives, the next season uh, here at Vintage. And, and um, you know, we uh, I shared this with the men the other night, and I really believe it's true. I, what I sense at Vintage, and I didn't share this in the first service, but I, I believe that uh, God has brought us to this point, and and that we're now actually in a in a place now about to giving of giving of giving birth to something new that God is doing at Vintage, and I don't fully know what it is, and I don't have my grasp on it yet, my hands, and I think it's the beauty of it. I love the things that God does that we can't see in advance because it's too much for us to handle at one time because only He can handle it. Those are the things that I'm talking about, and and I and I and I, I have this um, snapshots in my heart and mind of what I believe that looks like, but. What I would say is this: I believe that God is in the con- I believe He's in the in the process right now of preparation. You know, um, one of the most frustrating moments for women who are giving birth is about the 38th, 39th week because all you really want to do is get that baby out, right? You're uncomfortable, you know, you're frustrated. You're just like, ah, get this baby out. I mean, Randall was an angel at that stage, but um, but I know just in talking to other women, uh, you reach that point, you know, and. And I really feel like what God is doing in us is that he's bringing us into this season of preparation uh, where he is, um, it's like there's some of us are just like, oh, I'm just ready for it to come out. I'm ready for what God has. And 
were confusing, some level of frustration, even like, when is God going to do this? And what's happening? And what I would say is this, just chill out and enjoy the last few weeks of, or months or whatever it may be of, your, of our pregnancy advantage and pray the things into existence that God wants to do. For, let go of the things that you think that God wants to do and pray into the things that, we, that God knows that he wants to do, whatever that may be, okay? And say, God, I have my expectations. I release them to you. And you do whatever you want to do. And just make sure you get me out of the way because I may be in the way. That's my prayer every day, right? And uh, because I'm an idiot. So um, with that said, that's where we are, and, and uh, I'm excited about it. And you just be, continue to pray and continue to pray. We pray every Tuesday morning at 630, not this week because I'm out of town and because I'm serving the living God in Costa Rica, so I can't be here, right? But the Tuesday after that, we'll be back, right? And Thursday night, we've got a, a Graham and Sire here. We've got a group, uh, Rosemary and Billib and Faithful Every Week. I want to encourage you. We need you to pray. And so if you, if you know that you're supposed to pray, I'm going to talk about this a little bit here in a second. I'm not going to guilt you, but I'm going to press you. If you know that you should be praying for vintage in a corporate setting and you just don't do it because you'd rather sit at home and watch television and eat ice cream and watch the Braves, get off your lazy butt and come and pray, right? Because there's nothing better than being in a community of people who are praying. Listen, things happen. Things happen on Tuesday morning when we pray. Things happen on Thursday evenings when we pray, right? And so I, this is, this, that's, it, that's as guilt-ridden as I will make you ever feel, right? But you need to get there or you're not a Christian. All right, so moving into the next thing, I've got three things that I'll cover real quick. Number one, take up our offering real, real quick. If you, are, if you fill out your Connect card, just to be the time to put it into the basket. Uh, pass the offering back down, ties and our offerings, and... Um, That'd be greatly appreciated. Just as you're doing that, a couple of things. Uh, Laura is right here. Put your hands up. And then where's Bogsy? Did he leave already? Okay, Bogsy's right here. They're both going to Scotland July 15th, 14th. I was so close. They're doing a, and it's, it's a, they're obviously part of Vintage, and they're going, who, is it Riverstone? And is it, all three churches are just primarily, all three churches, Stonebridge, Riverstone, and Vintage are represented on this mission trip they're taking to Scotland. They do it every year. They're doing a youth camp they've been doing for the last several years. It's a powerful time. They're doing a fundraiser this Tuesday night, June 7th, at Chick-fil-A on Dallas Highway, okay, the one on Dallas Highway, and it's going to be a little fundraiser. So what you're going to do is, I, th- I know Justin has it. I'm not sure if Laura does. But they have these little, little coupon things. What you do is you come in, and then you, like, supersize everything, right? You get your big sweet tea and your extra large waffle fry, and, you're right, you get a, and, and 30% of what comes in from those coupons goes as a fundraiser towards their mission trip. So just do two great things. Eat Chick-fil-A and help the Scotland mission team, all right? So this Tuesday night from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m., Justin, hold up those little coupons so they can see what they look like. Do you have them? I mean, you should be on top of this, Justin. You should, like, be passing them out as we speak, all right? It's okay. Hey, you're a slacker. We'll, we'll, we'll forgive you, so... Anyway, so get those from, Lord, there you go, whatever. Justin, as I'm preaching, just there you go, they're in there. So come up to, just come through his bag, get whatever you want out of it. All right. Um, hey, and I was saying this too about our must ministry thing. I didn't say this in the first service, but y'all are special, so I'll give it to y'all. One of the things that we're finding is this. We talk to our neighbors about doing this must thing, and they are chomping at the bit to come up here and pack lunches. So if you're looking for an avenue to connect with somebody who would never actually come to this horrendous and boring church setting on Sunday morning, then invite them to come and pack lunches for needy, for the needy and the, and, and the marginalized or those who are just simply hungry in our community, right? It's just a great way to get them inside of our doors, right, and to connect with people here. It's just a great opportunity. We're actually, I, I'm going to be one of the drivers uh, uh, during this time. I'm excited about it. And we've already committed to take uh, our neighbors, she, her Kirsten. She's like, you've got to take me with you, right? You've got to take me with you. So we'll hop in the van. Let's go, right? And so we're really excited about that. So I would encourage you. This would be a great opportunity for you to get your neighbors in the door uh, who, if you're really just wanting them to get connected, uh, vintage, or you just really want them to get connected and and, and do this, that would be a lot of fun. All right, so let's do this. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to jump in, uh, kind of jump, dive into Ephesians chapter 4. We have a lot to read. 
We're going to look at chapter 4, verse 17, through chapter 5, verse 6, okay? I'm reading from the New International Version. If you have your Bibles, I want you to read from it, because it'll be the only time this week that you do it, and so I want to make sure that you do it and see it, right? If not, you can cheat and look on up here. If someone has a Bible next to you you think is cute, just steal it from them, and you can read it from there. All right, here we go. Verse 17, chapter 4, Ephesians 4. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Hey, they are darkened in their understanding, and they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Yes, Paul just put sensual and lust in the same verse in the Bible, verse 20. You, however, did not come to know the... Know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by evil, by deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you, each of you must put off falsehood. Put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or, talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy, greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. And skip down to verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery or bad things. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of times when we read Scripture, there's a high level of disconnectedness for us. I feel like we've been inoculated to things that people tell us. You find it when you watch the news every night. You watch Channel 2, Monica Coffin comes on. She spends the first 10 minutes telling about everybody who's been killed in Atlanta, about every single atrocity that's happened, and about every single fear that we should have becomes the world's going to hell in a handbasket, right? And so in the first 15 minutes, it's just this punch in the gut, an uppercut to the chin, and you're sitting there, and what have you learned over the years? Disconnect. Because if I let myself get into this, this could scare me to death. And so you have inoculated yourself by becoming disconnected from the message because it's just too much for you. We've conditioned ourselves that way. So I feel like what happens a lot of times when we, when we read the Bible, we do the same thing. We become inoculated to what it says. We're kind of disconnected because in our minds we think, well, that happened a long time ago. That's not, I wasn't really there. It's not my own personal experience. And so I'll just read it either as history or I'll just pretend like I don't read it in the first place, right? And so how many times have you read your Bible, gotten done about three chapters, and you're like, what in the world did I just read? 
right? And that happens to us all the time. We're sitting there because we're, we are inoculated. We're disconnected from Scripture. So what I felt like I wanted to do this morning is I wanted to do a snapshot with you to help you connect with this story from Ephesians because what I want you to see very clearly is that the city of Ephesus and the Ephesians themselves are more like you and the city is more like the city that we live in, our culture, than you would ever dream imaginable. That when you read this, it's as if you are reading your own culture that you live in. So just a couple of things to kind of give you a snapshot of what's going on in Ephesus. Number one, you have this. This is a sports-saturated people. How many of you would say that your favorite show every day is ESPN Sports Center, right? You wake up. I remember talking to Tate one time. And I said, what would you do this morning? So obviously I watched Sports Center from 9 to 1. So I make sure I got everything, right? He's not in here, I don't think. Whatever. But it's like there's this whole thing. We, just, we love sports, and we love our sports teams. That's why I said I was born a Georgia fan, and somebody cheered because they had the same feeling. And some of you wanted to throw up because you hate Georgia. Georgia because you have your own sports team over here that you love and that you're passionate about and when you go places and you go to games you see people getting super uber excited about what's going on in their sports team what's going on in Ephesus is they have this massive stadium that holds thousands upon thousands over 25,000 people it's a big stadium can fit into the stadium where they hold these different games and they have their these these different races and they all have the people that they're cheering for and when they walk out of the, this the stadium what are they doing they're talking about their guy and they've probably been drinking too much, and so they're probably having fights over it, right? Like the hooligans over in, in England who just get really wild and crazy over there after the soccer games, right? They're cracking down on it. I've been reading about that lately, right? So sports is this major thing that's going on in Ephesus, and they're really, really big into the arts. They have a, an amphitheater, for those of you art people, they have an amphitheater that holds over 10,000 people so they can just engage the arts, so they can get together and I don't know what they do because I don't really go to those things, right? But, but it's, no, I'm just kidding. So they're probably doing these shows and these plays and all this stuff. And, and, they're, and, and listen, men, the men, they're actually liked it, right? They actually did. They actually went. They engaged it. They embraced it. They actually knew where it was. They were excited to go to these things because these were a very artistic people. be like the, the Fox Theater of, of Atlanta, right? This is the place that you go. Everybody knows it, right? They have all this stuff going on here. It's also a very religious people, very spiritual. How many of you know that the South is the Bible Belt? And everybody's a Christian here, right? Everybody in the South is a Christian as they go out and get drunk on Saturday night, come in smelling terrible on Sunday because they feel convicted to be spiritual and go to church on Sunday, right? This is what we do. How many of you did that in college? Don't raise your hand. That happened, right? We experienced that. And so, so they come in, they're very spiritual. The number one religion for them was the worship of the goddess Artemis or, or Diana. Again, they built this unbelievably beautiful and ornate, I mean, just amazing temple for Artemis. In fact, it was actually described as one of the seven wonders of the world. Do you know how big the world is? And do you know how many wonders there are? And it's one of them. I mean, this is an, an amazing thing. They're also about the imperial cult, which basically means every single Roman emperor who lived was also considered a god. And so all of these guys who had, they just, they just lived in this place of thinking they were great and said, hey, worship me because I am the Lord. I am the Lord. And they would say that with their mouth and people would come and worship them. So everybody had to worship their own little emperor and they had their own little temples that they would go to. And even Judaism was thriving here in Ephesus. In fact, there was actually a, they were like a protected people group. Literally, they had these laws that surrounded them so they could have special treatment in Ephesus. So Judaism's thriving. We know from Acts chapter 19 that when Paul came with his followers, guess what happened in Ephesus? Revival. It said that literally during the ministry of Paul and his, and his disciples, that the entire country heard of the name Jesus. So listen, we're talking like it is a thriving part of spirituality. And the great thing with the Roman Empire is, believe it or not, they actually, some of them were messed up, but ultimately their government was actually pretty strong. 
I mean, how could you not, how could it not be if it took up such a huge portion of land for, I don't even know where it extended from, someone could tell me, right? But from here to here, it was really big, right? It was a massive component. And the reason was, when they came in, they didn't tell you to change. They just said, hey, just do what you're doing. But we're just going to be here. And we're going to tolerate you, so we ask you to tolerate us. How many of you have heard the word recently in our culture, we need to be tolerant of those who are different than us? Right? This is being spoken in our culture. It's a part of the city that we're a part of. It's a part of our culture now of being tolerant and actually having a pretty healthy and strong government that's going on of being tolerant for all these other different religions, right? This side over here, just on a, on a, those of you engineers, had an incredible aqueduct system that would literally bring water to the entire city, right? And they would have these little fountains of springs of water everywhere. What I want you to understand, this is an unbelievably wealthy city. This is like, the, it, it literally was the capital of the Roman Empire in this region of the world. All the Fortune 500 countries, uh, companies in the area would come and make their hub and their home right here in Ephesus. This is an amazing place, right? Listen, for those of you whose favorite hobby is shopping... They had this unbelievable market. Like it, like, it makes our shopping malls look silly, right? Just miles after miles of this market. And it's just beautiful and ornate. Everything's just accentuated with marble everywhere that you went in gold. I mean, how awesome would this be, right? This is a beautiful market that everybody who was anybody could come and shop and get what they wanted to return back to their culture and have a status symbol in their life. I don't know about you, but that sounds like the world we live in. And so Paul is coming the moment. Why am I telling you all this? Because you have to recognize that their culture is really no different than our own. Which meant that in being a Christian in this culture would have been as difficult as it is being a Christian in our culture. That there were lots of things competing for their allegiance. There were lots of things that were present that would hinder them from living out their convictions. There were lots of things that weren't necessarily bad things, but ultimately things that did not help them to grow in their faith. They would literally stand opposed to their convictions and call out to them to try to woo them out of living the life that Jesus had called them to live and that Paul was reminding them that they were supposed to be living. And so what I want you to understand as we read through Ephesians 1 through 6 and you begin to see with those people, you cannot inoculate yourself and be separated from it because this culture is no different than your own. And as we're about to read in a few moments, I'm going to go down through every practical thing that that Paul names as an issue that would literally, that was keeping them from being Jesus to this, in this culture, we're going to name all of them, and you're going to go, oh my gosh, I wrestle with all of these. These are all the things that we wrestle with in our culture. Because in this, you have to see that this is describing you and the culture in which we live. So, with that being said, we said before that um, in chapter 1 through 3 that there was a, a declaration in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, a declaration of who we are as believers. Remember we said, hey, this is who Jesus is. He breaks down barriers and walls, right? It's his power that saved you. You can't do it in your own strength. You need him, right? So there's this declaration in chapter 1 through 3 of who we are, who we are as believers. And then we said in chapter 4 through 6 that Paul then lays out, listen, the ethical demands on our life as followers of Jesus. That there are ethical demands on our lives of things that we should be doing to look like Jesus and to sound like Jesus. Ethics are simply the morals that we express in life that affect how we treat others and are viewed by them. So our ethics are simply the morals that we live out every day that everyone can see, and they make a snap judgment. Yes, they are actually living out their convictions, or they are not. 
right? So this is what he's saying. There's an ethical mandate that Paul is giving us in chapter 4 through 6 to say, listen, you have to be expressing morality in everything that you do every day. And the ethical mandate comes from Ephesians chapter 4.25, where he reminds them that they are all intertwined as members of one body. That they are all intertwined together as members of one body, of the same body. Simply meaning that every believer has a responsibility in what they do and how they act and how they live their life because, listen, everything that we do affects every relationship that we are in. Whether we like it or not, there is no such thing as an individual sin that doesn't hurt everybody. We, there's, listen, Paul said, listen, there's only one body in which you are a part of that body and you have a part to play in it. Therefore, when you are not fleshing out your ethical mandate to live with this morality that I'm calling you to here. It's not just you it's impacting, but it's the entire body because there's only one body, and we call it the body of Christ. And so it's like, listen, I was talking to, you know, if you, if you know Tom Gifford. Tom Gifford, if you know him, you know, he, he had this massive, sur- this massive shoulder thing going on. He, if he lifted his elbow right here, it would send shock waves down his entire body. And so before he had shoulder surgery, I went to his house, and we were hanging out, and he said to me, Steve, I'm sorry I'm whining so much. I said, what do you mean? He's like, my shoulder is killing me. He said, every single time I move my shoulder, I shake someone's hand, I put pressure on my hand, it sends shock waves down my entire body, and I can't handle it. And so what would happen basically was this. What it meant for, for Tom was that here's his shoulder. It's a bum shoulder. He'd walk around like this. And it's just his arm, right? It's just one shoulder. It's not the whole part of his body. But what he would say is that when he lived every day of his life, this shoulder affected everything that he did. It affected the way that he lifted his hand, the way that he shook hands, the way that he slept. It affected the things that he could do every day of his life. In a sense, he was handicapped in how he lived every day of his life because this part was not working right. Because this part of his body was not working right, even though it was an individual part, it affected the rest of his body and kept it working, kept it from working and functioning the way that it was supposed to function and work. Are you playing that out in your head about what it looks like for the body of Christ? As we're not living out this ethical mandate that we have of actually living at our convictions every day of our life, of not of saying, listen, there is no individual sin. Everything that we do affects the body of Christ that we're a part of, the relationship that we have with Jesus, and every single person in the world who is actually wondering who Jesus is and what he looks like and how he is supposed to act. And they're looking at you like Gandhi did when Gandhi said, hey, I don't have a problem with Jesus. I have a problem with Christians who look nothing like Jesus did in the scriptures. Listen, I don't know if you know, but E. Stanley Jones was this great evangelist in India who was great friends with Gandhi. And he would talk to him all the time about being in a relationship with Jesus. And Gandhi has read the Bible many, 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 many times. And the great hang-up he had had nothing to do with Scripture with Jesus, had everything to do with you and me. Because we were not living out this ethical mandate, both morality of recognizing our place in the body of Christ, not just a list of do's and don'ts, but an expression of actually how a Christian is supposed to be acting and functioning as a, in their part of the body of Christ. This is the word for us this morning that we have is simply responsibility. We have, you hate this word, I know it. Our culture likes to have no responsibility, right? We like to be free whenever we want to be free, to do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it, right? But we have a responsibility, an ethical mandate to flesh out our morals, to live out in an action, what we say that we believe every day of our life. And Paul breaks down chapter 4 and 5 of Ephesians and says, well, go, let me go ahead and just give you a picture of what I mean. 
Let me just go ahead and give you a picture of how I view your responsibility and what it looks like for you to be fleshing out this ethical mandate, this morality that you're living in every day. He says, I've already laid the foundation of you being in relationship with God, of being empowered by His Holy Spirit. And then what He does is He then empowers you to live the life that you were called to live. So I've given you... I haven't given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of a sound mind or self-discipline. I've given you everything that you need according to 2 Peter. I've given you everything that you need according to life and godliness because of your knowledge of Jesus. And so what he's saying in chapter 4 and 6 is, listen, you have already, past tense, been empowered to live the life of morality that I've already called you to live because you're in the context of the body of Christ. And if you do it to, to, if you do it to the body of Christ, that's because you're doing it to yourself because there's one body. Therefore, don't be the broken shoulder, but flesh out every day. Living this ethical mandate, recognizing you've already been empowered to do it. So what I want to do this morning is I want to talk to you, your part that you play in the body of Christ. Whether you know it or not, if you don't know that you're playing a part in the body of Christ right now, and you're sitting there self-loathing because nobody recognizes your gifting and how great you are, then you've bought the lie of the enemy. Because you've already, past tense, been empowered, the Holy Spirit is already in you, and He's already called you, live in the reality of it, and stop believing lies. So here we go. Ephesians, Paul's coming in, and he's sitting here, what I'm going to do, I'm going to lay out all the ethical mandates for you this morning. All the things that Paul looks at and says, hey, here are the things that are going to be tension for you. There's going to be this side and this side. We already talked about it. There's the old nature that's going to be on this side, and I'm going to name all of them. And I'm going to look over here and say the new nature over here, right? And so there's this two-sided thing. He's going to name all and say, as, as those living in Ephesians, as those living in north of Atlanta, in one of the cities... Here are the things that are going to be great tension for you that are going to be the ethical mandate for you that you're going to wrestle with. Listen, we're going to just dive into all of them. Some of them, I mean, they're just, they're so practical, it's profound, right? So the first thing that he names is chapter 2, verse 2, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, where he talks about unity among friends and believers. Remember it says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make Every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So he looked, Paul looks down and says, Hey, I recognize that when you live among people, some of you are so wounded that all you do is get wounded by people. Grow up and stop being so easily offended and embrace unity. You work your tail off. You've already been empowered. Stop praying that God would produce unity. Just embrace unity. You've already been empowered in it. You pursue. It's what it says. Make every effort. He doesn't pray to God and say, oh, pray that God would make every effort through you. He says, no, no, no. You make every effort empowered by the Holy Spirit to embrace unity of spirit. So when we sit in, in relationships and we sit in churches and we sit there and moan and groan and complain about this disunity, stop praying and just engage it. You do your part as the body of Christ to break out of by engaging your moral responsibility to engage unity by the power of the Holy Spirit already in you to do it. Right? There is a responsibility that we have empowered by the Holy Spirit. They're always intertwined. It's what we do and what Jesus does through us, okay? That's the scripture in, uh, in 5.1. It says, wake up, O sleeper. It's you. Rise from the dead. That means you have to get your tail up every morning. And once you get up, Christ will shine on you. It doesn't say, and God's going to get you out of bed. He's going to stick you in front of you in your chair while your eyes are still closed. Put the Bible in your lap, open it up for you, put your finger down on it, and then wake you up, and then start reading to you out loud because you can't do it yourself. He says, wake up, O sleeper, you get off your butt yourself, and then Christ will shine on you. There is a responsibility that we have where he then comes and moves once we move. Think about it this way. When, Jesus, when the writer of Hebrews said, 
although you should be eating spiritual meat immature, in fact, actually, you're immature drinking spiritual milk. Do you think he was blaming God for their spiritual immaturity? Do you think he was blaming himself? No, he was putting the responsibility on them, saying, you are where you are because of you. You haven't engaged this moral responsibility of maturing and of growing and of actually doing this stuff. And one of these things, the first one we said, was unity among friends and believers. We go on to the next thing. Chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. It's the ignorance of who God is because we harden our hearts. Let's look at this in verse 18 and 19. It says this, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. So what happens is this. When we talk about sensuality, all we're talking about are those just natural desires of your heart, which is you want power, right? Everywhere that you go, you want power. You want, you want um, recognition, People to recognize who you are and what you've done and how great you are, right? You want wealth. And so you want to work hard because you know wealth gives you a place of preeminence and prominence, excuse me, prominence in our culture. You want to go, you have a sex drive, and so you find yourself wrestling with the sensuality of your own heart, and you give yourself to it. Listen, my neighborhood is in a shambles all over the place because of sensuality. People giving themselves to their own desires without recognizing their call to morality first. All of these things going on, all of these things are these desires. And what happens is this. When Scripture tells us very clearly in Romans 1 that when you have a desire like this, sensuality, and you give yourself over to it, what he says is if you keep on giving yourself again and again and again, finally God says, fine, that's what you want. I hand you over to it. I hand you over to it. So in hopes that you will hit rock bottom and turn back and look to Jesus. Go read Romans 1 yourself. It's exactly what it says. Romans 1 and Romans chapter 2 in the beginning of it. Gives himself over. And so what he's saying is that there are those who continually give themselves over to sin. And what happens in that is their hearts begin to, to grow hard. And they begin to grow numb. And they become desensitized to the voice of God. You have no idea how many college students I've sat with and they'll come up to me and say, you need to pray for me because I just can't stop having sex with this person over here. I'm having sex with somebody different every single night. I don't know what to do with it. And I said, well, do you feel guilty about it? No. But I know I should. Let me tell you something. I look at this person with tears in my eyes because I know that when you become desensitized to the voice of God, you are in a terrible place because you can't hear him anymore. You can't hear his conviction. It happens every day in your marriages. You get so cold and numb in your marriages that you can't even hear the voice of God convicting you that you're being a jerk in your marriages. You're being a jerk to your children. You're being a jerk to your family, the people of God you're around every day. And what God is saying is that you can't, you have to. You can't be ignorant. You can't be desensitized. You have to turn. So, there you go. So, jumping to number three. This is, these, these get a little bit easier right here because they're just pretty clear. clear. Stop lying. That's verse 25. You don't have to read two. Just to stop lying. You don't need to lie. By nature, we want to lie because lying protects ourselves a lot of times, doesn't it? We lie about things because it moves us forward. So, he says, hey, listen, as a Christian, by nature, you want to lie. You can't do it. That's because if you're going to lie, then it's going to be you're totally missing this mandate that you have to live morally. So just stop doing it. You've already been empowered to stop. Just stop, right? Next thing we see is anger. First, chapter 4, verse 26, it says, says, says don't, when, you, when you sin, when, when you get angry, don't sin in your anger, right? But before the sun goes down, turn away from it. Basically, what he's saying is this. Don't live a life that's, that's represented by anger, you know what anger is. You probably get angry on the way over here. You know what anger is. And what he's saying is don't live your life, your life like this. At the end of every day, he's really just being incredibly practical. Just at the end of every day, just die to it. 
just die to anger. And the hardest places to die in anger, that's what he means in your relationships, right? The relationships that he named after all of this, he named three relationships. He said, these are best fleshed out, and the most difficult place for you to flesh it out is in a husband and wife relationship, in a slave and master relationship, because there was still slavery going on. Do you actually know that there are over one million slaves today in America? It's still going on here, but it's another conversation of their day. And the other one is parent and child. Those are the three that he names at the end of Ephesians. He says, and this is where I'm telling you, you can't do these things. You have to live morally, but it's every other relationship you're into, right? So don't be angry. Deal with that. Move past it. At the end of every day, you have to die to your anger. You've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Choose be responsible to do that. Next thing he says is stop stealing. Verse 28, right? And he just says very practically, hey, if you're stealing, stop. And get a job so you don't have to steal anymore. How great is that, right? I mean, how practical. It's like you don't have to read very deep spiritually to get the meaning of what Paul's getting at. If you're stealing from anywhere, stop doing it. And then get a job so you can stop stealing, right? It's fantastic. So stop, so stop stealing, whoever that is. Next one is destructive talk in verse 29, right? Again, this is really practical. What comes out of your mouth will reveal the work that God has done in your heart. So be intentional about your speech. If you're one of those people who lives every day gossiping and cutting people down and hurting their feelings and doing all this stuff and, and slandering them, we're going to talk about in a second, which is basically talking about them in a bad way to bring them down, to exalt yourself, then stop doing it. Shut your mouth. If you don't have anything nice to say, then stop, stop talking. That's what your mom said, right? Do it. Mom was like Jesus to you. She told you what to do. There's this whole thing going on. What Paul is saying is, listen, I'm telling you practically, I'm telling you practically, you can't be a good Christian if you're doing these things because you have a, a moral mandate because you're a part of the body of Christ. And if you're doing it, it's hurting everybody. You're literally impeding the flow of the Holy Spirit in the body that you're a part of because your relationship with your wife is awful. Because your relationship with your boss is awful. Because your relationship with your kids is awful. You have to engage these things and stop doing them in the context of relationships that you're in and specifically in relationship with your body, of Christ, with Jesus himself and those outside of our doors. So our, our talk is important. 431, Paul just gets tired, so this is a whole list of things in a line, right? I put a smorgasbord of stuff, right? He says, get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and malice. Now, slander simply means talking about people to destroy the reputation. Have you ever done that? Someone's kind of offended you, so you go to somebody and start kind of like start talking to, to that person about them. And you find yourself at the end, you basically just completely slandered them and made them look at like somebody who's terrible, right? So he's saying, stop doing that. We're really, really good at slander in the church, right? And he says, and then stop every form of malice, which is simply the desire to do evil. Well, stop that, right? So that's what he's saying. So stop it. That's, that's, that's the 431. Then he goes on in 5.3, says, listen, sexual immorality, sexual immorality, how many of you know that this is one of the major issues in the culture that we live in today? Listen, I mean, there's wife swapping going all, going all on in Bentwater, going on in Seven Hills where we live. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I hear all these stories from people and all these relationships that are broken. It's happening everywhere, right? You think I'm kidding, but I hear it every day of the stuff that's going on. It's everywhere. And it's sickening because we've been so desensitized in our culture sexually that we're just giving ourselves to everything. And there are biblical mandates. Hey, in the context of marriage only, will you be sexually active? Don't sleep with somebody else's spouse. Don't ever do that. If you're not married, don't have sex. It's pretty clear, right? Is it easy? No, because we have a sex drive. But he says, listen, you can't be a Christian, a good Christian, living morally where you're having a positive influence on the body of Christ, a positive influence on your relationship with Jesus, and a positive influence on every person who doesn't know him if you are sexually immoral. It's pretty clear. This is a major issue. What do you say? And so people are like, oh, Steve, you just got to pray for me. It's so hard. I'm like, no, I don't. 
You've already been empowered by the Holy Spirit. So stop. You've been given the spirit of self-discipline. Don't think that you're not already empowered. If you believe you're not already empowered, then you believe the lie of the enemy. If you need someone to come alongside of you to be accountable to and to, and to confess that to, that's fantastic, right? But just give them space to just lovingly rebuke the snot out of you, right? And to grab you and to lock you in your house and say, you can't go out tonight because you're not practicing the self-control that Jesus has already given you. Fantastic, right? So don't be that way. Next one is greed in 5.3. You all know what that means? Be generous, right? Be generous. It is another it's a massive issue in our culture. Money, power, and prestige. It is the number one thing that kills churches, isn't it? Men who get a power trip and they hurt everybody underneath them because they're going around thinking they have the power to go sleep with other people's wives, whatever it may be. It's terrible. Next one is coarse joking, obscenity, things. Again, things that are coming out of our mouth. And the last one is drunkenness. Chapter 5, verse 18 of Ephesians. Listen, 90% of, of, of college students are alcoholics, at least by definition, right? They drink all the time. They drink to drunkenness. And that's all that they do. How many of you know that over half of the women in college get raped during their college experience? And majority of the time, it's because some guys had too much to drink or because some girls had too much to drink. How many of you know that all these things I'm talking about in our culture, here in your neighborhoods, where all these people all of a sudden have these broken relationships, 90% of them are because they're sitting there and drunkenness is a part of what is every part of everyday life for them. I'm telling you, Jesus says, don't get drunk with wine. There is a better alternate. What is it, Jesus? Be filled and get drunk with the Holy Spirit every day of your life where you're just sitting there going, this is the best thing ever because you're just drinking of you all day long and I want to get drunk in you all day long. I want to be filled every day with you, Holy Spirit. This is the joy of knowing Him. If we're not living in that place, then we're missing something. We're believing the counterfeit to be the real deal. Get, listen, every day wake up and say, I just want to get drunk in the Holy Spirit today. And you know what I mean in that? I mean, for some of you may not. I'm saying, listen, every day say, fill me again with your Holy Spirit. Fill me again with the fruit of your Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Move in the gifts of your Holy Spirit. God, I want to see you move in power. I want to lay hands on the sick and be them healed. God, I want to see these things, right? What he's saying is you can't embrace the counterfeit because it's going to hinder you over here from grabbing hold of what's real, of the new life, of the Jesus life. So what he's saying is, hey, if you've got this shoulder thing going on over here, if you're living, not fleshing out this biblical mandate to morality every day, if you're living over here in this life that's not your calling today, then you are negatively impacting the entire body of Christ because somebody's having to step up and do what you should be doing and you are dead weight. People all the time, they get frustrated when they walk into churches because it's not what they want it to be. And they sit there and they complain and they complain and what they don't even recognize is they're complaining about themselves because Paul said, there's only one body. And if you're sitting there moaning and groaning and complaining about the body and whoever it may be, then you're actually complaining about yourself. And so if you were living in a place of frustration because the church isn't what you want it to be, why don't you shut your mouth, stop praying, get off of your butt, own your responsibility to actually be the difference in the body that you're supposed to be a part of, that you actually are already are a part of. Be Jesus in the moment. Engage this morality that you've been called to in the context of your body and watch as all of a sudden you're released in the body of Christ into the calling that you're supposed to have, that you already have, that you're just sitting there not doing because you're handicapped in the moment. Be Jesus. Gee, God, Paul said, listen in 5.1, be imitators of God. Do what Jesus did. Live that life that he lived. Embrace this moral responsibility that you have. Because what you find is this marriage is that as you wake up and get up, which is your responsibility in the context of your life, then Jesus will always flood through you. He will always empower you and he will always move through you. If we will simply do our part, which is shut our mouths and actually do something and get active. 
That's good news. Because what I'm telling you is this. If you're not living in that place, (laughs) then unbelievable riches await you now. An awakening moment to this place. You want to talk about breakthrough and barriers, breakthrough coming at vintage and barriers coming down? If every single one of you embraced this reality, owned your responsibility, and began to do the things that you've already been empowered to do and to flesh out your calling and not to do the calling that you want to do because you want power and prestige and and value in the eyes of men, but to do what God has called you to do, whether it's behind the scenes or not, if you did that, vintage would have breakthrough and barriers would come down. Because the unfortunate reality, and I almost hesitate to say this, is that the reality is this, for some of us, advantage, you may be the barrier. And that sounds so mean to say. But you are the broken place. God wants to heal you. God wants to move in you. And we celebrate that. It's just a matter of this. But God wants to tear down the barriers and bring breakthrough. Because he loves his people. And so I'm going to end with this this morning. Something that's going to read to you. You're going to close your eyes, and, and when I get done, <clears throat> when I get done, so we go ahead and give you this heads up. When I get done, I'm going to release you to go, okay? When I get done, I'm going to have all the small group leaders and all the prayer team ministers, I want you to come forward, okay? And we're going to have everyone here this morning who, when I'm talking, you realize, wow, I've been dabbling back in the old life, didn't even realize it. I'm a... I'm a broken finger. I'm a, I'm a messed up kneecap, whatever it may be that's part of the body. And I want to come and confess that to someone. I want to turn back away from the old life and look again to the new life, look to Jesus. We call that repentance. Turning from this and looking back over here. And I want to pray with somebody this commitment that I will be who God has called me to be at Vintage and engage my responsibility. So I'm going to read this because I want you to hear what Paul, again, being very practical, finishes with in talking about our responsibility. So just close your eyes. If you can listen better with your eyes closed, that's fine. But I want you just to, to listen rather than read. I'll read it slowly. So Paul's talking to him. He says, now listen. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and what is right and what is true. Now, carefully Determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So, be careful. Be careful how you live. Do not live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will lead, that will. But that will, that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.